Today is the end of a journey in walking through the book of First uh, Thessalonians for many months now. And uh, today we are going to finish that journey through First Thessalonians. Uh, <clears throat> we are in the last few verses, First Thessalonians 5, 23 to 28, uh, where Paul concludes uh, his really his address of basic Christianity as he writes to this young church in his first letter about things that are fundamental to them being established and growing as followers of Christ, the most fundamental things. And as he wraps this treatise up, this letter, he calls them to sanctification. In one of his last words to them, he calls them to grow in likeness to Jesus. To be more like Christ. And he does it in a powerful way and really is a benediction. It's one of my favorite benedictions. You should recognize it. I used it often through the years. Uh, <clears throat> but read with me. Come with me to 1 Thessalonians 5, 23-28. The Word of God. It says, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered this morning to lift our hearts in worship before you, to know you, to love you, to give ourselves to you afresh. As we come, we would sit at your feet and we long to hear your voice, for you to speak your word, for you to speak the truth into our lives with power in a way that awakens us, enlivens us, changes us makes us more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. The Christianity of the Bible is a spirit, soul, and body kind of religion. Spirit, soul, and body kind of religion. In other words, it's kind of a every nook and cranny kind of religion. It it includes and is concerned about every part of your life, every circumstance, every place, every relationship, where you live. It's about where you work. It's about where you play. It's about where you visit. The people you bump into. The way you do life. It's about the total self. Because religion, true religion, affects a total self, then it affects total life because you're the one who lives it. And it changes everything. Spirit, soul, and body. You know, the heart and the mind. The, the words and the deeds. Total transformation inside out. Spirit and soul inside and body out. Everything we do with the body. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Paul writing to the church in Corinth, he says... In the middle of the book, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body, outward, and spirit, inward. Let us cleanse ourselves of, of everything that isn't of God, that isn't holy, right, and good, of every defilement, inside and out, 
bringing holiness to completion. Right? Arriving at that place of likeness to Jesus and let's do this in the fear of God. Let's do it in, in a serious way as if we were living life before Him. 1 John 3.3, 3, John writing and, writes and he says, everyone who hopes in Jesus, everyone who hopes in Jesus, not, not some, but everyone who has this hope, purifies himself even as he is pure, carries forth this work to completion. Richard Baxter, an early Puritan, wrote and he said, first upon your soul, inwardly, and then upon all that you have or do outwardly, there should be written holiness to the Lord. It has His mark on you. as set apart for Him. First upon the soul. Then upon the body. Sanctified to the Lord inside and outside. It's the goal of the Christian life. This complete sanctification. Is, it's as broad as life and it's as deep as the soul and it's his goal of life because it's not any different than growing to know him and to love him and to walk with him very relationally. So we can say those two can't be separated. It's like two sides of a coin to know him and to love him and to walk with him is to become more and more like him until the day it is completed. It doesn't happen all at once. You and I both know that. We can. Put that as first on the list. Well, I know it hasn't happened you know, <laughs> quite yet. Not quite done yet. It doesn't happen all at once, but my friends, it is always the goal. And even though we're not there, even though we stumble and fail along the way, this is the goal. The bar never gets lower. It never gets lower than Jesus. Right? The calling to follow Him and to be like Him. The bar stays there, always desiring, always striving inwardly and then outwardly to be like Jesus. Romans 8 says we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. Starting on the day we come to know Him and completed on the day we see Him face to face. But that's where we're going. That's what we're doing. It is one of the chief business it is the chief business of life. And so Paul makes this point as he's signing off, as he's closing this letter, this, you know, uh, you know, of everything he has to say. And you know, last words are important. And sort of the last thing that he asks or he says of them or puts on them, other than these final greetings, is this call, this idea. Part of his final instructions and Greetings, it comes in the form of this benediction. And what I want to do is skip the benediction in 23 and 24 and do the last four verses and kind of do start at the end and then finish with that benediction because there's where I want to drill down. And so I just want to touch on these closing remarks. And he does give some final instructions and give some closing remarks. And the first thing he says in verse 25 is, Brothers, pray for us. And brothers there, that can be brothers and sisters. It's, it's brethren. It's inclusive. Church of Thessalonica. People of God. Friends. Brothers. Sisters. Pray for us. Right? Paul asks them to pray for him. Right? And I love that. Paul needs prayer. Paul's not afraid to ask for prayer. Right? And he's, and he's looking for the prayer of the church, of God's people. 
Right? And that, that does tell us something for me. It's one of the last things that he says to them as he leaves. Pray for me. Pray for us. I think it is so important because it goes down to, again, these final things go down to the core things that Paul believes. One of the things that Paul believes is that prayer matters. Prayer accomplishes things. God works through prayer. Alright? He believes it will help him. It will help them as they uh, engage in the ministry that God is calling them to. He believes that God acts in response to prayer and so pray for us because we long to see God work and use us. Right? This is basic Christianity. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes our prayerlessness you know, uh, <coughs> reveals something about us in terms of what we truly believe. But if we really believe that God answers prayer, that He works through prayer, that prayer, in that sense, God will accomplish amazing things in and through His people when we pray. So he prays in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, at the beginning of that book, he, he says this, you also must help us by prayer. Right? Just get that image for a minute. I'm fighting, I'm laboring, I'm doing, I'm tired, I'm whatever, there's a conflict, there's this going on, and he says, you know what, you guys can help me. You can help me if you would pray for me. Right? You can help us in all of these things by your prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing that was granted to us. How? Where did this blessing come from? Through the prayers of God's people. Right? Fundamental, basic Christianity. Blessings are granted and come in answer to prayer. Pray. I would say the same thing as our Rebbe. Pray for us. Pray for your elders and your deacons. Pray for your leadership. Pray for us as we go into this move. Pray for this transition. Pray for our hearts. Pray that God will protect us. Pray for our unity. And God will help us and grant us blessings in the midst of it through the prayers of His people. We are to be a praying people. It's just basic Christianity. Pray for me. In verse 26, he goes on and then he says, you know, greet the brothers and the sisters, the brethren, the folks with a holy kiss. What can be said about the holy kiss? Much has been, you know, much has been speculated about the holy kiss, you know, in terms of what this is. And, and uh, one of those things, it's, it's a sanctified kiss, right? It's a holy kiss, not just any kiss. It's going around kissing on people, right? It was a holy kiss. It's a sanctified kiss. It, you know, it's a very sp- particular kind. Um, and, and actually, it's not too far to see this kind of thing. You know what he's talking about. Southern Europeans still do it. Right? The Europeans still do it. You know, the little side to side, mwah, mwah. you know, good to see you or see you later. Or however it is. Like it's, it's, a, it's a sanctified kiss in the sense of it's a platonic kiss, but it's the way they greet. It's the way they greet. It's the way they say. It's like if I were, you know, writing to you and I say, give them a hug for me, you know, give them, a, you know, the holy kiss, you know, that's the, it's their culture. They don't hug, they do the little kiss thing. You know, we do a hug or a handshake, you know, and it might, you know, it might be me closing out and saying, give my love, give everyone a hug for me. That's all it is. It is a friendly, intimate greeting. Give my love to the people there in the church. But then he moves from this, this closing greeting to uh, putting them under oath. A rather serious statement, I put you under oath before the Lord, like, um, to the leaders who received this letter, this isn't a letter to two or three of you. He says, this is a letter to the church, and I put you under oath before the Lord Jesus that you will 
read this before everybody. I want everybody to hear this. There are issues in the life of the church. There are issues that are going on. Right? This, the truths that are contained here, it's for the church. And it still is, isn't it? It's still for the church. In fact, they had a practice, and it's how we ended up with our Bible, that when Thessalonians got the letter, they read it aloud. You know, sort of what we do. We do it in little snippets and then talk about it. But they read that letter, and then they did discuss it. What does it mean to follow Christ based on what Paul has taught us here? And they would take this letter, they would read it in the church, but they would also make copies. Folks from other churches travel around. They would make copies and bring it back to their church. So it not only was for the church in Thessalonica and under you know, the, this oath of the Lord to read it there, but it was also for the church. Churches were collecting the letters of Paul and the apostles. And they got passed around. It's one of the ways that by the time you get to the 4th century and it's canonized and we decide which, what is the Word of God and what is not in those words, a lot of what they did was simply look around at what are the letters that were collected, used by, and authoritative in the life of the church already. And it wasn't that hard to do. And so it is, it's meant for the church. It is instruction that has broad application for all of us. And then here at the end, is at the beginning, he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He started with that grace and peace be with you. Standard greeting of the time, but here at the end we know that that meaning is Paul takes it, takes on the fullness of Christ, who He is and what He did and the grace that is ours in Him. It is that grace that is our salvation. It is that mercy of God. And so when He wishes the grace of Christ be on you all, His forgiveness and His mercy towards you, that makes you right before God, that mercy. But it's more than that because grace, as we're going to talk about here in a minute, grace is that which drives the whole of the Christian life. So when he says the grace of the Lord Jesus, that means everything that is ours in Christ. The fruit of His Spirit, the life and the power. You know, all that He would do. The grace, that the door of the floodgates of heaven that have been opened in the name of Jesus that is called His grace be upon you all. Before these final words, he offers one of my favorite benedictions. A good word, benedicte. A good word. Right? Pronounced over God's people. So in verse 23, he says, And now may the God of peace Himself, may He sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, the One who calls you, is faithful. And He will do it. Right at the heart of this benediction is this good word, this wish, this desire, this statement of the desire for sanctification of God's people. That God would fully and completely sanctify you, right? May God Himself sanctify you. This is a closing word. This is, again, basic Christianity. And I, I open kind of with this painting the context for it. But this is, this is basic. God doesn't just save us to give us a ticket to heaven and then you go about your business and, and, and basically live life without any sense of His presence and power or work in your life. That actually, it is the point that God who, who saves you, um, not only saves you, but changes you. These are two sides of a coin. If he, if, he, if he saves you, He changes you. If He doesn't change you, He, doesn't, he has not saved you. Right? I mean, it's that tight to, to, to where James could write and say, faith without works is dead. Like the body without the Spirit is dead. That, that faith that saves 
changes, brings about the work of God in your life. And where there is no work of God in your life, there is no saving faith. Something is misfired. They, they, they go together. And so this is basic Christianity. That God would be about the work that He intends for us. To sanctify means a couple of things. I'll give you a Jonathan Edwards. He says it means at least two things. It's the act of regenerating man and making him holy in the first instance. In other words, he is saying that when you were saved. Right? The, the, the act of regenerating man in the first instance, that's the time you were born again. Right? When you became a Christian. When he, uh, when he set you apart and you put your faith in Him, that, that first act is an act of, of sanctification. When you, when you put your faith in Christ, you became His and were set apart, sanctified for God. And he says, and then the combination of all successive acts of a similar nature, that, that act of raising you from the dead, and then the act of delivering you from each particular sin and, and, and ways that we are not like Him, and each successive combination of all those acts in a similar nature by which we are improved in holiness through life. So it is that first act, it's every act in between, and then in the end it will be that Last act. It's past, it's present, and it's future. The sanctifying work of God. It's past, it's done. 1 Corinthians 1-2, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. And he says to the church, the church of God that's in Corinth, those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Sometimes the word there is used, they, they put saint there. Saint just means those who are sanctified. Those who have been made holy. Holy ones. You know, it's all the same root word. And so, to those who are sanctified in Christ. So he begins writing to a church where this is already the fundamental basic thing as we start off. This is who you are. You're sanctified ones. In that first act where you came to Christ and He poured out His Spirit and baptized you into His body, caused you to be born again, and began a good work in you. You were sanctified. But He's not done. And you know He's not done. I'm not done. Right? And so there are these successive acts. It begins a journey, a process, over which He is at work. And we see it in this text. It's that process of spiritual growth. The illustration would be our building. And get you thinking in that direction. Uh, you know, we're about to finish. Lord willing, we will be moving on Friday, May the 26th over Memorial Day weekend. We'll be done. The building will be done and we can move in. But in a sense, that's that first initial act. The building was built so that the children's wing can be expanded. We, we did all the groundwork and built it in such a way that if we need to, we can blow out the children's wing. And the office too, we built it far enough from the creek we can expand the offices. And so there are successive acts. There's a sense in which the building will be done and we're moving in. Another sense in which we're still in process. We'll be adding on as we need to ultimately a final sanctuary that will, a larger final sanctuary. And, you know, maybe someday when they'll you know, build the gym off the back, she's done. You know, but that's the, that's the work. It, good work has begun and yet it's still in process as we grow. And then at some day, we'll stand in his presence. Richard Baxter again says to be holy, to be sanctified, is to be devoted to God and appropriated to Him. That means holy basically means set apart. You used to be, you know, just a basic run-of-the-mill, uh, you know, for any use at all kind of a person. But now, having been sanctified in Christ, 
to God. You've been, you've been taken from the mass and set aside for Him. You've been appropriated. If you appropriate funds, that means you take it for your own particular use. Right? You've been, it means to be devoted to God, appropriated to Him and to His will and to His use. Their hearts and lives would not be common and unclean anymore. We would belong to Him. Completely, right? And he says that this is a job. He wants it done completely. He said to sanctify you completely. In the NIV, which is where I first memorized this, the, the NIV says that may God of peace Himself sanctify you through and through. Always like that kind of a picture. The through and through uh, kind of a picture. You know, all, all the way in every part. Completely. Wholly, entirely. And the whole person. And in case there was any doubt, Paul goes in and he starts, he starts listing the parts in case, you know, the whole, again, you know, c- completely, the whole spirit, the whole soul, the whole body be kept, he says, blameless. That would be, that, again, that's the plan. Right? That's, that's His purpose for us in Christ. Every part, the whole self, blameless. When he comes. And so, chapter 4, just the chapter before this one, if you look back at chapter 4, verse 3, he says, This is the will of God, your sanctification. Isn't that nice and succinct? Isn't that clear? See, people are like, I wonder what the will of God for me is. I wonder what I should do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the signs. The billboard said something about Bahamas. You know, maybe that's the will for me. I don't know. But, Sometimes we're looking for the will. And I think 90% of God's will for you is clearly stated. You don't have to look for it. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder what you should be about today. I'll tell you what you should be about today. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. Your growing in holiness in the image of Jesus. This is, this is what the Lord is about. Now you know. My friends, too much Christianity is like plastic fruit. You ever walk into a kitchen, there's a nice bowl of fruit on the table? You're like, huh. Looks good. Colors are robust, right? It's got a little shine to it, making me hungry. You grab an apple, this is too light, right? There's nothing in there, it's hollow. It's not through and through. Right? It's the opposite of through and through. It's the opposite of completely. A lot of Christianity looks edible on the surface and it's, it's got a little shine to it or it's got pretty good colors, but it's not a through and through. Right? Christianity has always been and always is a, a spirit, soul, and body religion. It's a through and through complete religion. The fruit reaches all the way to the center. To the center of the person, to the center of the life, in, in the home, and in the core relationships. Jesus uses images to kind of capture this idea. He said sometimes we're like, we treat our religion like a cup and we wash the outside, but we leave the inside dirty. Or he says it's kind of like a tomb, you know, where we want it to look nice and so we throw a coat of whitewash on it, he says, but it's still a tomb and it's full of rot and decay. And he says this ought not to be so for us. It's like a piece of plastic fruit that has a sheen and a little color on the outside, but in the inside, it's all air and emptiness. 
John Newton says that if a Christian, he says his religion, her religion is not confined to public occasions, but he is the same person in secret as he appears to be in the public assembly. For he worships him who sees in secret. It has to do with who we worship. Right? That's why public and private, it doesn't make a difference. We should be the same perfect person everywhere. Because why? Because God sees everywhere. We live to Him. It's not a matter of what you think of me. If i got a little color and a nice shine or whatever and I can pull it off. It doesn't matter what you think of me. It matters what God... We worship a God who sees in secret. A God who knows our hearts. Who searches us and knows us and sees if there is any wicked way within us. And, and He is the one before whom we live. And so true religion is lived out before this ever-present God. And so it needs to be genuine and authentic. The same man when we're alone. The same man when we're at home. At home with my wife. This is, and I fail at home in an alarming, she'll be the first to tell you, I can fail at home at an alarming rate. But I don't want to. And I repent of it. And I want to grow. And I want to be that man who is through and through. That We want that. It's to say, but we're striving because it's easier in public. It's easier for an hour at church. It's easier in certain places. And the closer you get to home, the harder and more consistent it has to be. You know, when you first wake up, when you first go to bed, when you're dealing with the struggles of life, and it is there with those people that real Christ-likeness is won and lost. And so we want at home. However much we try, my friends, I hope you're feeling like, oh no. That's a tall order. Like how? Like I know. I could tell you right now. I'm not told. I'm not through and through. Not the way I should be. Not the way I want to be. I do fail at home at an alarming rate, you know. And I do fail at times with you, you know, more often than I would like to. I would like to be that man, but we fail. Sanctification is not something that I can pull off. See, the problem is, sanctification is not the product of my pure good efforts. It's not a product of myself, of my flesh, of my ability. It's a humanly impossible task. And the problem is that we don't know, we don't believe that. We, we think we can do it and so we try and we, we try and we strive. But, and so the question is, God set us up for failure. He calls us to this thing. He says it's to be, you know, Christ is the standard. And, then, you know, and I look and we say, oh no, Lord, what have you done? But listen to His Word. What does He say? Verse 23, May God, the God of peace, Himself, sanctify you. Right? May God do it. Right? The God of peace, may He sanctify you. The first word in the sentence in the Greek, in the way Greek word order is kind of funny and they play with things, but when they want to emphasize something, they just put the word first in the sentence. So, you know, for us, it would be out of order. You've got to have the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the doer and the verb and the direct, you know, and it's got to, you know. But they, they note those things differently. And so, in the first word in this sentence is himself. Himself, God will do it. Himself, God will do it. Right? What an amazing statement. What an amazing, right? We have to go back and start there. God emphasizes, I am the author and perfecter of your faith and sanctification. I, 
Philippians 1.6, Paul says, I'm sure of this, He who began the good work in that first act of sanctification, calling you to Christ, causing you to be born again, raising you from the dead spiritually, and, and making you His own, I'm sure of this, and He who began the good work, He will bring it to completion. I'm sure, if I'm sure of anything, I'm sure of this. The God who started it is the God who finishes it. He knows the end from the beginning. He is the first and the last. He is, he is the one who says those He foreknew, He predestined, those He predestined, He called, those He called, He, he sanctified, He justifies, and those He justifies, He will glorify. Right? The one who foreknew before the foundations will glorify. The one who began the good work in time and in your life and in that call is not going to leave it undone. He's committed to it more than you are. The one who calls us to holiness, he says, verse 24. The one who calls you to this holiness is faithful. And he will surely do it, he says. He will surely do it. I don't know, I fall back on this. The caller is the sanctifier. God is the one who can make me like his son. God is the one who has the power, I know that, to raise the dead. God has the power to deliver us from the bondage of sin. God has the power to change my heart. God has the power. Not me. Not me. I can't do it. I've tried. Oh, I've tried. I've tried long and hard in so many ways. The caller will finish the work. Your sanctification is God's will. From the first act to the last act. But I would say this, the grace is not the same in the first act as it is in the succeeding acts. And this is important, and we must understand this about sanctification. Because sometimes we do get that. Sometimes we do get that message that not only was my salvation by grace, but my sanctification is by grace. Not only would I save by His power, but I'll be sanctified by His power. And in some ways, we, we get the message that it's by grace, but it, it, it can produce within us a... a uh, a complacency. And it's not meant to do that. Grace is not the same in the first act. In the first act, where God raises us from the dead and saves us, it's like Jesus speaking to Lazarus in the tomb. We call it monergistic. There's one power at work. Lazarus isn't doing anything. And you and I, before we were saved, before we were raised from the dead spiritually, we were like Lazarus in the tomb. We weren't doing anything. We weren't contributing. We weren't laying there thinking about, you know, am I going to save? You know, am I going to follow you? Am I going to do this? Am I... We're not doing, you know, Lazarus isn't doing anything. And Jesus says, come forth. And it is His power that raises the dead and gives Him the ability even to hear what He's saying and much less to come out and follow Him. Right? So it's, it's Jesus' power that brings Lazarus forth, not Lazarus' power. But after that, Lazarus has got to walk. Right? Lazarus is going to have to put one foot in front of the other from that point on. And it's that way in salvation and sanctification, there is that call that comes to us and it is God's alone that brings life from the dead. And then we've got to start putting one foot in front of the other. The process is not passive. And so the Bible calls us to watch and to pray and to strive and to run and to work and to fight and to all the things that describe the Christian life you know, that He calls us to. We are not passive. He says, rise up. Lazarus, come forth. You come forth and do 
We're called to engage with the entirety of our being. In our own sanctification. But by the power of His Spirit. Some amazing things are said like in Philippians chapter 2 where Paul describes this and he says, work out your salvation. That is, work out your sanctification. Right? That's working out your salvation in your life is to follow Jesus and be more and more like Him. Work out your own salvation. Put Fight, watch, pray, run, strive. Do it with seriousness, trembling before God. Like This is a serious business. right? You work out your salvation. Then he says, but do it because God is at work within you. And it's His work. And He's at work within you, not just doing it. He's in, in work within you to will, even to want to do it. So if you want to be like Jesus, if you want to grow, like, even that is God's grace. Right? The presence of the Spirit who is a Holy Spirit who, who creates a hunger and a thirst for righteousness within us. It is, he is at work within us to even will, but also to work. And because He's working in us these things, He says, you work it out. What He works in, you work out. And that's how He does it. That's how He sanctifies us. He works it in us, and then you do it. So His sanctifying us doesn't look anything other than you pursuing holiness. That's what it looks like. That will that He's created. That work that He's prepared beforehand that we should walk in it. Jonathan Edwards again, he says this, in efficacious grace, efficacious is uh, sanctifying grace, the grace He gives, you know, that we should be able to do what He calls us to do. In efficacious grace, we're not merely passive. Nor yet does God do some and we do the rest. It's not like, you know, some say marriage. You do 50, I'll do 50. You know, it's 100 and 100 or it won't work. Not in a marriage, not with God. Right? He says God does all and we do all. God produces all, but we have to act it all. We've got to do it. We've got to live it out. We've got to be what God is making. His workmanship, for that is what is produced. Nothing other than our acts. His change in our lives that makes us more like God is the proper author and fountain. And there is no other author and fountain. And if there were no fountain, there would be no sanctification or holiness. You could do nothing. But He is the proper author and fountain who's poured out His Spirit in your life. And He says, and we are the proper actors. We are in different respects, wholly passive and wholly active. But I love that, that He does it all and we do it all. You've heard it before. You know, work, like it all depends on you. But pray and trust and give praise like it all depends on Him. Because it does. Right? But there is that sense where He works it in and through us. He does all and we do all. And so I pray and I believe and I trust that it can be, and then I live, and I strive, and I labor, and I see that He does what? He establishes the work of our hands. And He does, He accomplishes through our prayers the purposes that He has designed. God does it. We work out our sanctification depending totally on Him. Totally on His Spirit. Believing with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength that apart from Him, I could do nothing. Right? We have to be there. I couldn't be a better the person He wants to be. I couldn't be one iota like Christ. Apart from Him, I could do nothing spiritually right. And... But if we abide in the vine, 
Right? If we are in Christ and we trust in Him and we pray, we do what we talked about last week, right? Remember last week where we rejoice always, we find our joy in God every day and we live a life of constant connection, praying without ceasing, right? A life of constant thanksgiving, acknowledging Him in all of our ways as we walk with Him and are connected to Him and finding our joy and our worship in Him and our life in Him day by day that He, and then we seek to follow Him with our whole hearts. He will do it. It will be. It will happen. We must believe. You've got to believe that you can grow. Paul says in Romans 6, sin shall not be your master. If you don't believe that, you will go nowhere. Sin will not be your master. You have a master. And you have a great power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead to change and mold us. And we must believe that, that there will be progress. That there will be victories. That you know it may be three forward and two back and there may be seasons and where we're stressed and these are going on and we will stumble and struggle. But by His grace, we, we move in this direction. Unfortunately, the thing is that we often are not engaged. And I don't know if it's because our, our belief in grace is such it makes us complacent or we've given up the fight and we just don't believe there can be progress or what is the reason that we have. D.A. Carson says, people do not drift. They do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness and prayer Obedience to the Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We, we drift toward compromise. And we'll call it tolerance. Right? We'll drift toward disobedience. And we'll call it our freedom. We'll drift toward superstition. We call it faith. We cherish our, the indiscipline of lost self-control. And we call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness. And we delude ourselves into thinking that we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we've been liberated. Grace does not liberate us like that. Grace does not make us lazy, passive, and indifferent. Grace starts a good work that is meant to be completed day by day. Glory to glory. Some of you are drifting. Hoping that holiness will happen. There have been times I've sort of done that. Lord, you're going to have to do it. I'm a little worn out. You do it. And so we just kind of wait, kind of hope, kind of expecting that it may come upon us, but we will discover that does not work. I've used that illustration that I believe is very true. The Christian life is like swimming in a stream up, up, up river, right? And you're either swimming or you're losing ground, um, right? You're either swimming or you're losing ground. And so we have to be swimming. That is that watch, pray, run, strive, fight, go forth, you know, after Christ. Spiritual growth requires our full engagement, the cultivation of spiritual habits and deepening relationship. My friends, will you choose the path of engagement? Will you knock and seek? If you've given up the fight, will you take up the sword yet again? If you've sat down in weariness, will you seek the grace to rise up again and move toward God and His purposes for us? Some of you have become weary in the fight. You see it, but you're tired. You're weary. The way is long. The path is narrow. It's like a marathon. And at mile 24, I'm tired. But the Scripture says, 
don't become weary in doing good. Do you not know that He gives power to the faint of heart? He says, when you wait upon the Lord, He will renew your strength. I know you're weary. I get weary. But what does it cause us to do? It ought to drive us again back to this, this source, the fountain, right? To, that I can renew my strength and rise up again on wings like eagle. Even the young get weary, He says, but He gives power to the faint. We have to enter in again. Some of you are weary because you're like a gerbil on the wheel, you know, going round and round because you're, you're after it, you're, you're after it, but you're after it in your own strength. You're trusting in yourselves. You think you can do it. You're striving day by day to pull it off. And in some ways where you think you are, you feel really good about yourself. In the places that you aren't, you pretend it isn't there because you're striving or you're, you're getting weary. But we're not supposed to do it in our own strength. We're supposed to abide in Christ and to bear His fruit. The God of peace, my friends, He will sanctify you. The One calling you, He will surely do it. If we abide in Him and find our joy in Him. C.S. Lewis says, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. If even 10% of the world's population had it, would not the whole world be converted and happy before the year was over? The power of a holy life. Father in heaven, we thank you that you do not just call us to this beautiful standard of being like Jesus Christ, Your perfect Son. But that You come and promise that You will do it. That You and Your faithfulness will transform us more and more to be like Christ. Oh, would You teach us to hunger and thirst for this reality that we would rise up, not in our flesh or in our own power, but in faith. And in the power of Your Spirit, that we might strive day by day to follow You and to honor You and to be like You. For the glory of Your name and the good of Your people we ask. In Jesus' name, Amen.